0: Good to be with y'all today. I uh, hope uh, y'all won't think I'm crazy, but I want y'all to turn to Revelations, chapter 21, verse 1. I promise that I'm not going to be speaking about end times theology today, so rest assured, Brother Mike, rest easy. just want to read uh, the first first verse of Revelations 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. So this is a, uh, a great introduction to, the, uh, to this passage, which is all about the, uh, the church of God, the, uh, the bride of Christ. And uh, I just wanted to point out this great mystery, and I want to ask you all a question. What does that mean, that there is no more sea? That's what I want to ask. Tonight, today, uh, that's what I want to talk a little bit about. So, first, think about sea. What is? What is? How is sea used? How is the water used in Scripture? You can interpret this passage whether you interpret it as being future or being present. I, I don't think it makes any difference as far as the uh, the way we interpret sea here. But uh, let's look at a few verses that talk about sea in Genesis six. We're going to read about the flood. Genesis six 17. We're going to talk about water. It says there, And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. We see that judgment is very often a picture. Um, and Brother Matt even said today that uh, the floods of the waters... Is a symbol of judgment. It's a type of judgment. Not just a type, it is judgment. Um, So water can be judgment. It can also be cleansing. In Numbers we read about the water of separation and how the priests put their garments into the water and washed their garments in water in order to to kill sin. So you see there the water is almost a picture, uh, is the separation between us and Christ, between sin and God. And so the, the water has to come, the garments have to go through the water in a way before they can be acceptable before God. So water can be a type of cleansing. It can also be deliverance. Uh, we, lo- we read about that at the Red Sea. The water coming down upon the, re- the uh, hosts, Pharaoh's host, the horse and his rider being thrown into the sea. That's a type of uh, deliverance and judgment there. And in death we see that the grave is often is pictured by water. And uh baptism itself is a very real picture of that, of of Christ being put his death, burial, and resurrection. Um so but all boiled down we can see that water is really judgment. It's really God's wrath. And so I want us to get this picture. The sea is the body of God's wrath. And you can think about that and think about um the sea, uh, all those pictures of the sea of the flood being sent down upon earth to wipe everybody out and of the Red Sea, wiping Pharaoh's hosts out. right? This is a very real picture of God's judgment. So, the main thing I want to take away from that is water is where sin goes to die. Water is where sin goes to die. Um, and if you look at, at hell especially, it's ironically called the Great Lake. Right? the great lake of fire. And it's, that's where sin ultimately, eternally goes to die. So, the sea you can think of, you can think of it as the pit, you can think of it as the grave, you can think of it as hell, you can think of it as all, as all these things are kind of pictured and tied together in Scripture by water. So, ultimately, it's the wrath of God. And so, hell is judgment. Hell is where sin and sinners go to die eternally. It's also significant that the Bible speaks of people being cast into hell. Uh, just as Pharaoh's hosts were cast into the Red Sea, right? The Bible says, in Exodus uh, 15, tells us um, in Moses' great song there, the horse and his rider were cast into the sea. The captains of Pharaoh's hosts were drowned in the sea. Thinking about the sea in this way, as a type of God's wrath and judgment, helps us understand another biblical metaphor, or not just metaphor, but when the Bible speaks of Satan as the Leviathan, the dragon that is in the sea, according to. Isaiah one, That's what it's talking about. Hell, the grave, that's where Satan makes his home. That's Satan's home base, is hell and the grave. Um, and this is what uh, God is telling us when he says that Satan is a dragon of the sea. He's saying he's under the judgment of God. So this is the picture that we're seeing, right? The wrath of God is symbolized and put into place by all of these different kind of water judgments. And Satan himself is under the judgment of God. He's in the sea. He's the Leviathan of the sea. But Satan isn't the only one underwater. And I want to make this this uh, very clear. And we all know this. We all know the doctrine of total depravity and how that we are all under the uh, judgment of God. Naturally, we're all sold under sin, the uh, the Bible says. And uh, if, you, if you think about being underwater, I uh, was thinking as I was, Looking at this, uh, studying this subject, thinking about in my own experience. I don't know if any of y'all have had experiences, near experiences with drowning, but uh, when I was little, I uh, was in a our pool at Raleigh Ridge Park in uh, in Memphis, and uh, and we had a pool, and and I in in the shallow water. I was very young, and I uh, all of a sudden, however it happened, I started to go under, and you have that feeling of terror. Uh, those of you who have been. Uh, in that situation and and the water closing in on you right so this is this is the this is why water in a way is so terrifying to us, and the wrath of God, if we think about that closing in on us that's why it's uh, it's, it's such a a horrible thing. People are very afraid of drowning that's one of people's worst fears but uh drowning is a horrible way to go, and the Bible makes it very clear and that's that's what happened at the flood. people were drowned. That's what happened at the Red Sea. People were drowned in the wrath of God. We are now all naturally under God's judgment. We are all drowning in sin. This was the one thing God was showing us when he destroyed the world. But we are all condemned. We are all doomed. We are all damned. God is right to destroy us, to wipe us off the face of the earth. Right? Naturally, we deserve judgment. We deserve God's wrath to be poured out upon us. Mark 9.42 says, And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. So we are the offenders. We are the ones who have offended God and offended the little ones of God uh, before, before grace. So the question is, why doesn't God bring his wrath crashing down upon us? If that is it, why doesn't God drown us in his wrath like we so richly deserve? It's not because of any redeemable quality in us. It's because God purposed within himself before creation began to set his love upon us. That's why he promised in Micah 7.19 that he would cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. God promised that he would cast our sins into the depths of the sea. I used to think that meant that God would just put our sins out of sight, out of mind, right? That he would put them in the water to be remembered no more. But studying this, I think it's a little, little deeper than that. That passage we read before about uh, whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. It's not just that our sins were cast into the sea. It's that Christ took our sins upon himself. He took our millstone and he was cast into the sea. I think this is the very important thing to get. He was cast into, into the sea into the pit, the Bible talks about all these things, into hell. The Apostles' Creed, if you think about that, descended into hell for our sins. That's what happened with Christ. Christ went into the grave because of you and me. He went into the grave bearing our sins, that millstone around his neck that we deserved. To quote Isaiah 53, it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That's, That's what happened with Christ's death on the cross. Christ took our sins upon himself and took our place under God's wrath. And that's a horrible, awful, terrible thing when you think about it. The wrath of God that was set to be poured down upon us, Christ took our place. And he was, God's wrath was poured down on him instead of us. When I uh, was drowning in the water, the, uh, the way that I was saved... Was my dad jumped in after me and he, he heard me flailing around I guess and heard someone screaming and he uh, he jumped in the water and it wasn't very deep but and he, and he got me out right and I, it wasn't a you know a serious close call but it could have been if he hadn't come in and got me but that's what God did for us except more than that God didn't just jump in and save us he jumped in and took our took our place Be like my dad had gone in and drowned instead of me that's that's what Christ did for us. The, uh, in Jonah 2, it talks about Jonah being in the belly of hell three days and three nights. That, that's what Christ was. He was in the belly of hell during this time. That's, Jonah makes it very clear. Uh, even use, he used the term belly of hell. This is, this is what Christ did for us. He was under God's judgment for us if you think about drowning and you think about how scary it is, think about this. I uh, pulled this from a professor at Brigham Young in an article he wrote called Two Crucified Men, Insights into the Death of Jesus of Nazareth. And uh, he says this, and he's, he's quoting in part of this. He says, First, it is important to remember that death by crucifixion was not caused by the traumatic injury of nailing. Rather, hanging from the cross resulted in a painful process of asphyxiation in which two sets of muscles used for breathing, the intercoastal muscles and the diaphragm, stay with me, became progressively weakened. In time, the victim expired as a consequence of inability to continue breathing properly. And then he says, quite literally, victims of crucifixion drowned in their own fluid that accumulated in the lungs. You think about that horrible death. And we know that Christ didn't die of drowning, that he gave up the ghost. But it's still very true that he was drowning as he was on the cross. Bringing all of this together, this water picture uh, together, that Christ didn't just take our sins, he died for our sins. And he drowned because of our sins, he was drowning because of our sins. And saving us, Christ dealt Satan the mortal blow. And that's the main thing I want to get at today. The Leviathan that's in the sea. You think about that. I quoted this earlier. but Isaiah 27.1 says, And that day the Lord with his sword and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan the piercing serpent, even Leviathan the crooked serpent, that he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. Which is a great, great promise that Christ fulfilled. So you see not only that Christ took our sins, that he was cast into Hell into the sea for our sins that he drowned in the sea uh, so to speak but that while he was in the sea that Leviathan of the sea that made his home in hell that Christ gave him the mortal blow he dealt him the fatal blow and uh, even though uh, the Bible talks uh, more in Revelations about God he says in Revelations 20 he says and I saw an angel coming down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. This is Revelations 1 through 3. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, etc. So this is what Christ did. He, he came into hell, and he defeated Satan on his own ground for us. That's what Christ did. If you want to turn to Isaiah 51, this is the main passage that I, uh, I want to look at right now. He says this, beginning in verse 9. Isaiah 51, verse 9. Awake, awake! Put on strength, O arm of the Lord! Awake, as in the ancient days and the generations of old. Art thou not it that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? Art thou not it which hath dried the sea, the waters of the great deep, that hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransomed to pass over? Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. So we see that verse tells us why there is no more sea. And that... That verse where it says no more sea in Revelations should make us want to shout. But Zach likes to say that we're on shouting ground here. That, that, what, think about what that means. God's wrath was exhausted on Christ. That God poured out His entire wrath on Christ for our sins and in so doing that Christ dealt Satan the mortal blow. That God triumphed over death and triumphed over the grave, triumphed over the pit, for our sons. And after binding the strong man, it says that Christ spoiled his house. He's in the process of spoiling his house right now. Um, If you turn over to Psalm 9 real quick, and I'll be done here in just a second. I love Psalm 9. In uh, verse 13, he's setting up this contrast between two cities. It's a tale of two cities. He says in verse 13, Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me. Thou that liftest me up from the gates of death, that I may shew forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. So you see the, the way he's setting it up is that there are two cities. Right? Zion and the gates of death. Right? And so he's saying, I was in the gates of death, that I was a servant of Satan, a servant of uh, in bondage to Satan. And he says that Christ, what did Christ do? He went into the city, in through the gates of death to get us. right? And he has brought us out of the gates of death. And now what are we doing? We're coming into the gates of Zion. And what should we do as a result of that? We should be singing and praising God. That's what he says here. That I may show forth all the praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. And that's what we should be doing. I think that is really the application here of this this passage about the sea and the idea that there is no more wrath stored up for us. It should make us want to praise God and thank God for what he's done for us. If you think about the terrible wrath of God and the size of the sea and that it's dried up and there is no more sea, and that's what I want to tell you all today. There is no more seed. and that should make us very happy. I think the idea that God has taken all of our sins on Himself and dried up the sea—that is one application. We can also look in, uh, back in Isaiah 51. He says, "Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion; singing and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy." and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. We're not supposed to be a mourning people. We're not in mourning anymore. Christ has come and He has dealt Satan that mortal blow that I've been uh, repeating uh, probably too much right now. But He He has secured our salvation. And now we're coming into the gates of Zion. And we should be singing. We, we sang that song. We're marching on to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. And, uh, and that should make us one of the shouting God's praise. But not only are we happy in ourselves because of this, but we bear fruit. And that fruit goes on into the world. He says in Isaiah 27, 6, so a little bit further down from that passage about Leviathan, he says, He shall cause them that come to Jacob to take root. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. Hmm. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. That's our mission right now. That's our mission, is to fill the face of the world with fruit. And not only fruit, but knowledge. He says in Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So instead of the sea of wrath, you read in Exodus about God, or the children of Israel, throwing a tree, God showing them a special tree at the waters of Mara, if, if I'm saying that correctly, which is a bitter pool of water. And they, God showed them the special tree that they threw into the water and made it sweet and it made it drinkable. And that's, that's what Christ is for us. Those waters of wrath that we were facing are now turned into sweet waters. The rivers of life, I think, is, is a good uh, way to look at that, which is in Revelations it talks about. One, uh, one last thing, I'm moving along at a pretty good clip, so I guess I'll share this one last thing. In Psalm 74, I want to point out just a neat, neat thing. Speaking of drinking the water, it says in Psalm 74, verse 13 and 14, "Thou didst divide the sea by thy strength; thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the waters." Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Charles H. Spurgeon says that he thinks what this is talking about with the Red Sea, when the Red Sea was divided that and and came back together, that Leviathan, this this, uh, great serpentine fish-like creature, was actually beached because of this. And so the people of the wilderness, which he, he says is a picture of Israel. Uh, I don't know if it was actually Israel that did this, but this Leviathan that was beached, that they ate the flesh of it. So after this glorious salvation of the Red Sea, where the Israelites passed through the Red Sea, which is a very real picture of Christ going down into hell for our sins and defeating this serpent, this Leviathan. What, what happened? God cast Leviathan on the beach. Now he's food for his for the children of uh, of Israel, basically, which is maybe maybe a gross picture. I don't know, but uh, y'all might not like the idea too much of eating Leviathan. Uh, but it, it's it's uh, it's a very it's a picture of what God has done. It's a complete and utter rout of Satan is what it is. It's a complete and utter victory of Jesus Christ, and that's what He has secured for us. He has spoiled Satan's house. And that's what, that's what we're doing now. One last thing he says in Matthew, he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against us, the church. And, and what he's talking about there, what Christ has done for us, he has already stormed the gates of hell and gotten us out. How much more, how much easier is it for us now that Satan is defeated, it's, it's our turn. And that's what the church is doing. We're plundering the gates of hell. And, uh, and that's what the church's mission is right now. Is we're going out and we're reclaiming the world uh, for Christ and, and the people of the world. Uh, that's that's our mission: is to make disciples of every nation, tongue, and people. So that's that's all I had. I just wanted to uh, share with y'all that and, and proclaim to y'all that there is no more sea. That that's done away with. That Christ has victoriously conquered. And taken all of our sins upon himself, dying for our sins. So, thank you.